today's episode, young Wesley Crusher faces an ethical dilemma, and we finally get some much-needed Boothby time. Hello and welcome to Re-Engage, the podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode, as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So stick to the story, and let's re-engage. Welcome, one and all. Uh, this is our re-engagement of the episode, The First Duty, uh, which I want to say duty the whole time. The first <laughs> duty. Uh, before we begin, I have a little bit of previous episode business to cover. Um, when we had on the fabulous Melissa Nathan to discuss the episode Outcast, we discussed the uh, appearance of Jordy's beard and discussed whether or not it was the only time we get to see said beard. And thank God Melissa did some research because Lord knows I didn't. Uh, and yes, there will be another episode where we will see Jordy's beard again in season six, episode nine, The Quality of Life. Something to look forward to. Thank you, Melissa, for doing the work. Uh, I'm Gen X, so I just thought about it, and then I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm glad that Jordy's beard is an actual beard and not a uh, hologram woman. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, this episode takes place on Stardate 45703.9, which had a real-world date of March 30th, 1992. Greg, what was happening in the world? So many things. Uh we are about to go on a bit of a break for a few weeks before we get the next episode. So I'll talk a little bit about what's happening in between there. But on this date, on March 30th, a man accidentally, quotes on that one, backed into Oakland A's Jose Canseco's Lamborghini that was worth $225,000. And I think we should all give a round of applause to that man for, for doing so. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Uh, also, a uh, service in the sports world uh, on this date as well. Uh, Phoenix Suns coach Cotton Fist Simmons won his 1-800th career win uh, as a head coach. Uh, F&A, and Cotton. Sixth, yeah, <laughs> the sixth coach to do that in the NBA. I think more have done that since. Uh, and then finally, the one thing that is happening over in the world is a continuation of the conflict in the former Yugoslavia. Uh, the armed uh, terribleness that was happening there really got to a head on April 6th with the Bosnian Serbs laying siege to Sarajevo. Uh, and many say that that is the, the actual first beginnings of the war, even though there were the armed conflicts uh, that were leading up to it. Uh, and uh, more terribleness will continue from there. But uh, it is a uh, really remarkable time. And I think it actually inspired a lot of Star Trek stories, uh, including ones uh, that we'll see in Deep Space Nine and other about occupation and, and, and who belongs together and who does that stuff. So I bring it up for those reasons. But yeah, that was happening uh, in between here and uh, uh, the next episode. I remember thinking that it was so alien to kind of my young experience at that point because the Olympics had been there not too long before. And those were the images that I had in my head so that when all of a sudden it was images of bombed out, you know, ruins, it was, you know, a, a very 
telling difference uh, and, and recent. Uh, that, mm. that was my first experience with that. Indeed. Well, in pop culture, Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams remains at number one, but on the modern music charts, the song One by U2 took up the top slot. So that puts mm. that into context. And all these years later, there they are in Las Vegas. And I feel slightly less old when I remember that. Because uh, they're <laughs> older than I am, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> one love. The number one movie, White Men Can't Jump. And the 64th Academy Awards took place. And Silence of the Lambs swept with winning Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Actress. And screenplay. And screenplay. Best screenplay. Thank you. Uh, you all can't see what just happened, but it was magical. Eric just made like twinkly hands because he was so excited, little peace signs, and then all of a sudden um, there were fireworks. Much how, how we met Krista. There we go. More fireworks. Is it when you do the thumbs up? <laughs> Double it thumbs seems up. To happen. The future is now. All right. This episode was written by Ronald D. Moore and Naren Shankar, directed by Paul Lynch. Jimmy, tell us what was happening behind the scenes. Uh, well, this is our first uh, actual visit to Starfleet Academy in this Trek universe. Uh, so we finally get to see what that looks like. Um, and Ron Moore and Pillar actually debated on the whole Wesley coming clean thing. Uh, Pillar argued uh, for the truth, and Ron thought he shouldn't turn his back on his friends. Uh, Pillar actually won out in the end. Uh, but it was interesting that the characters had developed enough that there was a debate as to which way they might go. Um, Cadet Cito, one of the four uh, on the crew, the... the the ship crew that is Wesley's attached to, uh, she's a Bajoran. So we know that Roe isn't the only Bajoran to go through Starfleet Academy. Uh, and to get really meta on the map painting in the background at Starfleet, uh, there's actually a flag at half mass because of our uh, lost cadet. Um, and on that, uh, the, the Starfleet flag, you can see the logo for Starfleet. And on there it says, Ex Astra Scienta, uh, Scientia, which means in Latin, from the stars, knowledge. Can be, uh, you can see that. Uh, which was taken from Apollo 13, which uh, on Apollo 13 it actually read Ex Luna Scientia. Um, and a little throw to the past, the Jaeger Loop. Uh, which is discussed in the episode, is actually a tribute to Chuck Yeager, who was the first pilot to uh, break the sound barrier in 1947. Uh, the Russians would do it in just under a year later in 1948. And that's all there is from the Nemesic Files. <laughs> Addendum, the Nemesic Files are the ones that said that uh, this was the one and only episode with a beard which our own Ooh. Melissa has debunked. So take everything I just said with a grain of salt. <laughs> That's amazing. I also thought the Jaeger effect was from Kate Jaeger. I know. I got real excited when they kept saying my name, and then I <laughs> looked it up, and it was spelled like Chuck Jaeger, and I was a little disappointed. Uh, yeah. Well, let's change it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Canon. A Jaeger loop is the first time that Kate Jaeger got drunk and fell down. 
rolled over into a brilliant somersault, and it has thus been known since then as a Jaeger loop. Cannon. I did a Jaeger loop Cannon. walking down the street in Brooklyn. I remember it very well, though not what came before or after it. <laughs> well, Eric, uh, since we're listening to your dulcet voice, uh, tell us about the guest stars of Mute. Well, there's a ton of them in this one. Every time we go to a brand new place, there seems to be a lot. And they've been saving up the budget for the last few episodes so they can have several people. We'll start with the fantastic Robert Duncan McNeil. Uh, Certainly at this point, Star Trek royalty. This was his initial uh, introduction to the universe. But we know him best, of course, as Paris uh, on the long-running... Star Trek Voyager series. He did 168 episodes of that and uh, two episodes of Lower Decks just this last year, uh, redoing his uh, lovely work as that particular lieutenant. He was in a ton of other TV shows doing one or two episodes here and there, but right around the time he uh, finished uh, his run on uh, Star Trek Voyager, he trans uh, transferred into the realm of producer-director and uh, has been very uh, successful in that particular uh, arena as well, having done things like uh, Suits, uh, tons of episodes of the series Resident Alien, if you saw it, which was one of my favorites. Um, So Help Me, Todd, recently, and True Lies just this last year, uh, that new TV series. He's done multiples of The Orville, uh, the Arrangement, Blue Blood, Salvation, Mind Games, Warehouse 13, tons of genre stuff, of course, expert that he is. Uh, Supernatural, 666 Park Avenue, if you remember that one, which I quite enjoyed. Uh, Smash, the V TV, the, the re- remake. Um, mm. What About Brian, which I always really liked as a title. The OC, which I know we love, Desperate Housewives. He is an actual big-time director man. Um, He was also the executive producer of several of these series that I've talked about. He is on the other side of the table and has been for pretty much 20 years now. Well-known, well-respected, and busy as fuck. Um, Next, we have Jacqueline Brooks, uh, well-known in the theater community of New York and Los Angeles. She was a longtime director and uh, acting coach at Circle in the Square Theater. Uh, Grew up in um, uh, New Jersey and uh, was seen in especially uh, Shakespearean roles all the way from Oregon Shakes through to Broadway um, and is primarily known for the stage, but she does a fantastic job here as Admiral Brand. Um, As so many of the famous acting coaches are, uh, there is not a ton of screen stuff uh, through which to celebrate her own work, but uh, she is remembered well uh, in the stage community all over the country. Uh, after that, we have some of Will Wheaton's uh, uh, classmates, uh, in particular Walker Brandt playing Jean Hajar, one of one of uh, his fellow pilots, and she is probably best well known as Kim in City Slickers, who is Bruno Kirby's uh, young vivacious girlfriend, um, who has a ton of fun stuff in that particular movie just one year before this uh, and is working right up into the present day. Long career, lots of uh, 
uh, interesting work. And we would dive in a lot more if we didn't have a couple of other amazing ones to get to. We do have the previously mentioned Sito uh, Jaxa, played by one Shannon Phil, who also had an interesting career all the way through and has recently gone back into acting again uh, for doing another couple episodes of um, Lower Decks, or I guess it was one episode of Lower Decks last year, or, uh, doing the character one more time. Now we'll get to the three big ones, uh, in my particular opinion. We have one Richard Fancy, one of the great names in the history of uh, uh, actors, really, Dick Fancy. Um, known in particular for uh, comedy uh, work, as he was a stand-up comic before he got into... Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's Ed Lauder we're going to get to. Um, he was uh, working from the early 90s through to now. And uh, this was relatively early on in his career, actually. Not uh, the early 90s, I'm sorry, the early 80s. But this was still early on in his career. He had done single episodes of things like New Heart and Who's the Boss? Uh, and then really got more well-known to those of us uh, who love comedy in the It's Gary Shandling Show, where in the last two seasons he was uh, featured uh, week after week after week and just milked laughs like you would not believe. Um, movie work includes stuff like What About Bob right before this and uh, uh, Murphy Brown, The Wonder Years. Uh, but at this particular point in time, he had just started... Uh, as Elaine's boss on Seinfeld, uh, Mr. Lippman, who uh, later on in the series uh, was also the owner of the Muffin Top Company Bakery, uh, which featured so well uh, in uh, destroying Newman's hopes and dreams, as did the fat-free, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, the yogurt uh, a little bit later. They, they, they really liked to get Newman in there on the food-related jokes. Big, big, big fans of that, were they? Um, Doogie Howser, MD, lots of other stuff. Uh, really, really never stopped working. And uh, as recently as 2020, uh, was still gracing our television shows in Grace and Frankie and other interesting work. Uh, you certainly recognize him if we take off the... Um, uh, uh, it looks like Romulan makeup <laughs> to me because he's always <laughs> kind of a villain. But uh, Richard Fancy, you know him, you love him. And now let's get to the great Ed Lauder, uh, who we, we know from uh, starting out in things like uh, The Longest Yard, uh, where he was the asshole captain. Uh, and uh, showed up again in the remake of The Longest Yard because he was on the studio lot when they were shooting and Adam Sandler literally like ran into him, recognized him and said, come be in this golf scene we're shooting today. So along <laughs> with Burt Reynolds, he's the only person in both of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really terrific. He's uh, r relatively recently, he was in uh, such things as uh, The Office. He had one uh, for particularly uh, terrific uh, co-star in that, or, uh, you know, um, recurring on Psych, really everything you could possibly think of uh, from the early 70s until now. He was uh, in the Broadway production of um, The Great White Hope and uh, was kind of spotted from there in 1972 uh, to start uh, work in Hollywood. He did no fewer than 11 credits in 1972, uh, hit the ground running, 
things like uh, Bad Company, uh, which of course is notorious as as a um, Western, but still well worth your time. Uh, Rage, starring George C. Scott, which is kind of a little known thing uh, that is <laughs> really worth checking out that same year. Uh, from there, he showed up in everything you've ever heard of, uh, from Kojak to Shadow in the Streets to Satan's Triangle, Breakheart Pass, Family Plot, where he was introdu- introduced to the great Alfred Hitchcock, who had tapped him to be the lead in his next and final movie, which was never made because in 1980, his declining health uh, caused that to be canceled. Um, so, uh, while not ever becoming a movie star, he was in just about everything you can imagine. He had that great moment in Revenge of the Nerds 2 when Courtney Thorne Smith comes into his campus office and right before she enters, he takes that eyebrow pencil out and draws in more hair, uh, which is one of the great kind of physical bits ever in film history and was apparently his idea. Um, he was a stand-up comic before uh, he started doing stage work and was the cousin of one Elaine Stritch. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for some terrific shit uh, to track down of his, he's particularly good in uh, Born on the Fourth of July as one of the commanders in Fat Man and Little Boy. He did an awful lot of military stuff. My Blue Heaven, one of my favorites, which also is canonically the sequel to Goodfellas, which is one of my favorite fucking um, uh, truths in, in film history. Um, That's not true. It is. is. It, it is, is the same character, and it happens right after he goes into witness protection from Goodfellas. It is based on the life of Henry. Um, no. Yes. Okay, you didn't know that? Absolutely I, guess, I mean, I knew it was kind of mob-ish, like it was making fun of the mob movies, but I never really figured it was the same guy. Yeah, Amazing. it is Henry Hill. <laughs> I love it. I love it's, it. It's amazing. Uh, True Romance, again, a police captain. The X-Files, uh, again, an army commander. Highlander, the series. Ravenhawk. Kung Fu, the legend continues. He worked with all three Bridges and all three Carradines. Uh, really proud of that. Um, he unfortunately passed away in 2013 uh, from mesothelioma, and his family is still in litigation and trying to... Um, get uh, recompense from the various studios that exposed him to uh, asbestos throughout his career. Uh, we root for them and we say to those studios, a uh, fuck off. Uh, and once we have finished talking about our great friend, Ed Lauder, we go to the star of the episode. It is very important that we discuss Ray Walston, son of a lumberjack. And we talk about how he went through uh, regional theater in Texas, all up through the Midwest before showing up in uh, New York and going right to Broadway as Mr. Applegate, the devil, in Damn Yankees. Uh, followed that up with Luther Billis in the London version of South Pacific, and he and Bloody Mary were those the only two actors from that production to make their way into the film. Uh, he is uh, certainly widely regarded as one of the great um, musical theater performers of all time. Not to mention he is my own personal favorite Martian. He was Popeye's dad in the movie, as we all remember. We all (laughs) know and love his work in just about everything. Won two Emmys for Picket Fences late in his career. Uh, Was the only watchable thing in uh, things like Project ALF. And uh, he, uh, one of my favorites, uh, again, late in his career, was he was Candy in the Gary Sinise, John Malkovich of Mice and Men. He could do everything. He was incredible. He was Mr. Hand in um, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
and uh, closed it all out with uh, the role of Pappy in the movie Early Bird Special. Don't track it down. It is not worth it. Ray Walston, genius, God, and uh, really just a, a, a nice chap. Well, all right. Thank you, Eric. I'm afraid after uh, all of those guest stars, we are out of time for today's episode. Yes. So uh, my pants are wet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. What a, an amazing group of actors that we had in this episode. Let's talk about it. We start off with a captain's log. Picard is giving the commencement speech at Starfleet Academy and looks forward to seeing Wesley who will be doing a flyover with his flight team. On the bridge, they're talking about Superintendent Admiral Brand, who is in charge, and they are trading stories of who was in charge when they were at school. And suddenly Picard gets a private message from the Admiral. You're friends with the Crusher family, she says. There's been an accident. Credits! Let's talk about this cold open, my friends. It is a short but sweet one, right? We get a little bit of uh, chumminess, uh, and you know, I, it almost feels like uh, Riker wants to know more about his his dad, you know, messing up uh, things with Picard, and wants to know all about that historyness. Um, also, the fact that there was a Beta Z uh, superintendent seems notable. I didn't realize there were that many fully uh, empathic uh, Beta Zeds in Starfleet. We don't meet that many of them over the course of all of this canon, but for them to be a superintendent out of the Star Trek, I was, I was, I, I, my brain was thinking about that before we got to this this accident. And I feel they pulled a punch a little bit here too much, and they make us assume that Mr. Crusher is the one that is involved uh, in, well, I guess he was involved in the accident, but that he is somehow dead, uh, and they leave that hanging over the course of, course. of this entire credits. Yeah, right? of course. What else are they gonna do? That's the bomb, <laughs> right? Like, they don't that's... say anybody's dead. <laughs> Just there's been an accident, right? Yeah, and there's like, been an accident. That's all. And it, his face is now off. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I love that scene where they talk about the superintendents, and I thought it was really interesting that they say full Beta Z. Um, mm. Like, you know <laughs> that there's so Detroit. many like half breeds or like I, I don't know is that is that racist I'm not sure <laughs> but like having to call out that it's full and not a half like you <laughs> Deanna maybe they actually feel things all the time <laughs> can sense oh. it. I don't know uh, <laughs> but and interesting that they you know the two of them both knew the superintendents really well like and maybe that makes sense because they're both assigned to this flagship starship like you know big deals like they were always promising so they they knew the head of the giant school that has thousands of students in it uh but i loved it and i like you know i like that opening and they really set it up for uh picard like i'm I'm looking forward to seeing wesley i've never said that before out loud Uh, i've Hmm. actually kind of not liked him most of his life um so i wonder if i'll be disappointed with him later (laughs) Uh, but I thought it was a great cold opening. Uh, we get back from the credits uh, where the whole time Greg was hyperventilating because he wasn't sure what was wrong with Wesley. <laughs> I, I wanted him to be okay. And we find out that he's hurt, but he's going to be fine. Beverly's running through all of the things that they need them to know in the medical bay. Um, and I think that they do a really nice job with Beverly being essentially in shock. Right. Like because she goes immediately to like the list of things that need to happen. He sort of tries to check in with her and she's just very uh, 
blank in a lot of ways, but focused, which I just thought was a really uh, neat way to show shock. Yeah, and a good love that I was shipping on them, as the kids say. Like, uh, she's a, a worried mom, but focused like a doctor would be, and he's reassuring the whole time, like, he's fine. Yeah. He's doing okay. Uh, and then later when we see them show up together, I was like, damn, these two, are, they look good together. Like, <laughs> they're already doing the mom and dad thing. I did think she was going to pull out a stuffed bunny under the desk uh, to make sure that uh, that was the last piece of medicine Wesley needed. <laughs> Just needs a hug. Yeah. Uh, Picard does pull out the Beverly. Like he does like a very kind... Uh, way of of saying her name, uh, uh, and it is reassuring. But I think Keith McFadden does a great job of acting in this scene because she's in shock, teary eyed, and uh, trying to hold it together. And I just find that so much more interesting than if she was, uh, you know, immediately at at a ten, right? Yeah. Like she's she's at a ten, but she's trying to bring it into a two, right? Which is real, right? It is real. Uh, we find out that during a routine flight, all five of the ships crashed. Four of the cadets were able to beam out, but not one of Wesley's friends. On the planet, we're getting the rundown of what happened, at least as far as we know. Uh, Commander Albert is there, who uh, is the one who has lost his son. And they decide that commencement will go forward. Even after, after a tragedy like this, there are duties to perform and life continues. Duty. <laughs> Duty. <laughs> uh, what do we think about com- commencement going forward? It, it's hard to, you know, do, I mean, being at a school that has lost people uh, while, you know, getting to graduation and things like that, there is a lot of emotion wrapped up on that. But I think all of them have chosen to do this, right. which was we got to memorialize them. We've got to make sure that they are. Uh, their stories are told, but if we were to cancel it, it sends a completely different message to everybody. Jimmy. And I think this is one more um, little bit of fact on the side of your military organization, not a science organization, because you're out on flying maneuvers. That's, that's not a science thing. That's what you do when you're practicing how to uh, fly your ships and destroy stuff. And when did the Federation get X-Wings? Like, <laughs> I mean, I think they look more like A-Wings than Good X-Wings. Um, but yeah, no, I've never seen those that shuttle design before. And then it, it's not really set up early, but we got, I kind of figured out over the course of the episode that these are like the Blue Angels. Like, they're like a special team. And I, I, I didn't really get that from these opening scenes. Mm. Uh, uh, it's, only, right. it's only later on that I kind of get that. Really from the, from the gardener. And they're in school. Yeah. Like, they're they're in school, but they're like the Blue Angels. That's weird. But also very cool if you're in the program, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> in Wesley's room, we see him working uh, with a contraption on his arm. Uh, sort of an arm-bending machine, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> the drive home, he has been injured. People. Uh, Beverly and uh, Picard come. They are sorry to hear about Joshua. Do you want to talk about it? They say no. Suddenly there's a knock on the door and it is the squadron leader, Nicholas. Uh, And then Wesley kicks him out. 
uh, uh, his mom, basically, and, and his captain. He's like, I'm sorry. We have super important things to talk about. Bye. I, I wonder the scene after this, they close the door and Bakar's like, love wins. Love wins. <laughs> <laughs> He's cute, Beverly. He's yeah. cute. I, I think he'd be a great, a husband, great match. Bev. <laughs> I think young Wesley Crusher slash uh, Mr. Will Wheaton uh, here does a really good job of no, like we get the information that there's something wrong, right? Something's not right. We don't know what it is, and he's doing it through non-acting, uh, you know, like non, like I mean, he's choosing, but he's doing it in such a way where it's. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is the, the, that he's gay and he doesn't know how to say it yet. But you know, th- there's there's these uh, wonderful bits, and I think it's a, he's his face has appeared a little bit older, actually. I think like and this was the first episode where I'm like, oh, he's, I can see the man he's going to be rather than the kid he was uh, in Encounter at Farpoint, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, our our young Wesley has matured. Is he as attractive, Kate? Listen. It's hard for me because I am a 47-year-old woman. But I can tell you that young me was very excited that he was back on my favorite program. All right. And old me follows his wife on threads. So I'm going to just say they're a lovely couple. Uh <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, they kick out. Uh, again, Nick and and uh, Wesley are alone. Nick says, are you ready? I think so. Don't worry, Wes. Everything's going to be all right as long as we stick together. And that's our first sort of inclination besides what you were talking about, Greg, that there is uh, discomfort in Wesley that we see. Uh, but this is definitely our first verbal indication that something is rut row. Yeah, and I think if they do a good job of not making the, uh, Nicholas Lacerno's line here too too suspicious, like he could have done, he could have delivered that line really threateningly, right? And we would have known a little bit more. But he does it in such a happy, affable way that you're like, oh, is he just is it just because he doesn't want this accident as we know it now to be, um, you know, uh, uh, a mark on their records forever? Yeah. You know, casting this guy, it, it's fantastic because he is so charismatic and you see why he would be the, the leader of this. And he does seem like he's taking care of Wes and it doesn't seem, it seems weird, but it seems weird and they're both in it as opposed to, like you're saying, it, you, you would expect it to be manipulative or these things. And, and he never really gives into that. And, and it's a... Uh, testament to the, the the kind of charisma that he's able to produce. Uh, it's like I'd follow him. Sure, I'd, I'll I'll go do a stupid fucking thing. He's on my side. I got to do it for him. Like it completely works. I don't dis disagree with either one of you necessarily. Um, and it's I don't want to. But I'm going to. <laughs> no, no. It's I was suspicious of him, but I liked him. And then as it develops. I be I started to dislike him more because I thought he was then becoming truly manipulative and self-serving. But then when we get to the end, there's this nice twist. So I think it's a great acting, a nice acting choice, but it's also in the script. And only a bad actor would have went a different way because 
the end tells you this is where you end up. So you're going to make the right choice, and that's always who you are. You just sometimes don't make a good choice along the way. Um, so it's mm-hmm. a combination of the two and not just solely on, I think, on his side where he made this brilliant choice. I think he made the only logical choice as a good actor there. No, I agree. I just think he executes it really well, which we don't yeah, always that, see yep, on this absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I want to unpack that as we go because I think that's what makes it this character super interesting is – He's like a real person. He's not the Star Trek good guy. He's like a a, a full 3D human um, because of that journey. Yeah, good point. Picard is out walking, and finally we get to meet Boothby. We've been wondering, we've been waiting. Who is this iconic groundskeeper? And the first thing he wants to know is where Jean-Luc's hair is, which I just think is wonderful. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Maybe incendiary. But is it stunt casting only if you don't like the actor? Because this seems like stunt casting to me. (laughs) To me, it's, it's, that is actually part of it. Uh, I think he has unimpeachable qualifications as a terrific actor, and there's nothing kind of else. Uh, surrounding him. Nobody's like, oh, that guy. They're they're like, he's going to do what he's going to do and it's going to be really interesting character because that's all he does. But also, like, they've talked about this guy for a long time and for it to be Mm. someone that is going to suddenly, uh, you know, I'm cool with that. Kind of like I'm cool with uh, Tyler Durden being Brad Pitt. Like, who else are you going to be? It has to be someone famous. It has to be someone, you know, you you use that fame. Yep. Glad we figured that out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Picard says to Boothby, I never told you how much I appreciated you. Mm. Ah, there's nothing to tell. So gruff. Uh, And then they talk a little bit about uh, the incident that may have happened uh, whilst Picard was, uh, was a student, a student, um, I didn't speak to you for months, he says. The important thing is what you did with your life afterwards. How are you going to go past the very long discussion about Picard's legs, Kate? How could I? Please, please <laughs> indulge us more on leg talk. Turns out that uh, he got in a fight with an alien race that, or a person of an alien race that I am not familiar with. And he gives all credit to his own legs the powerful tree trunk legs that the Captain power. Picard oh, that was <laughs> was developing as a youth. <laughs> I thought maybe that would appeal to young Kate Yeager. <laughs> what do you think he did? What do you think this incident is? They don't. They never spell it out. Uh, uh, and I was curious what your what your theories were. I don't have a theory, but I love that they didn't spell it out because it's really fun exposition. Then. We get a sense of the past without them looking at the camera and saying, you know, like staring off. I can almost see it now. <laughs> when I got in trouble. It's like how people really talk about the past where the details are already there. You don't have to break down every detail. You just hit the highlights and the, the things that are moving this conversation forward. Um, so I really enjoyed that talk. I honestly assumed he cheated at something. I don't think that would be in his M.O., I would think would it would be more... Would that tie into this episode, Kate? Would that tie into the, like... It would. It would. I saw it more as a hot-headed, you know, like, 
kick someone right in the solar plexus. <laughs> so you yeah. think he cheated and then Boothby encouraged him to admit it and then that's why he was not expelled? Maybe. I, I, that could be. I, I also <laughs> think it's possible he just never admitted it. Uh, like we were just talking about, Wesley could have not done that. Like I, I think a blemish on Picard's situation that he's been carrying the guilt for for you know 25 years or whatever would also explain how kind of slowly and uh, quietly he came up to Boothby, not sure how he was going to be uh, received. But do you think, because yeah. Boothby does have that line to him about, like he's like, you don't have to thank me, I just showed you, reminded you who you are. So that yeah. suggests that he, that Picard, whatever he did, he ended up rectifying it and doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and Boothby's not taking credit for that. And it's, and it's really there just to show us like, and this is exactly what we're going to see later. Like, or it was, if you ever do that again, I'm turning you in. And then he never did it again. Do you know? Hmm. Kick right in the solar plexus. <laughs> <laughs> we find Nick or young Nicholas giving a pep talk to Wesley and the other two cadets. No one could have asked for a better team or better friends. And they're sort of pumping themselves up there. Uh, they go to the uh, judgment room, the meeting room, uh, conference room, whatever it is. Uh, and they're talking about performing the Jaeger loop. And it's spelled wrong, but that's okay. Uh, one of the cadets, uh, Jean, Jean stands up and she's the one that filed the flight plan. And they say, well, you deviated from that. And she's very sketchy about it. And then finally admits that, yeah, she did but it was within limits and the admiral gets very snippy with her for not answering that question directly and for being um obfuscating uh then captain saltek asked the cadet sito who was flying at the end of the formation if she saw the collision she says she was flying on sensors alone and therefore Mm. didn't see the ship crash Mm. that's some bullshit that is some bullshit think things are falling apart I like the aside that Beverly Crusher has to Picard in this scene where she's like, what? why is that a big deal? Right. <laughs> and then his explanation, um, it you know, adds them to the scene and makes them important, but it also shows, uh, uh, you know, that uh, there is a like expertise that needs to be involved in, in, in talking about these things. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, and did you guys, I, I thought when the scene happened, I was like, I know somebody died. You got to look into it. But this immediately felt like a court martial. <laughs> like, <laughs> you guys are on trial and need to prove that you're innocent, not just explain what happened so we can avoid it. Like, it, it from the beginning felt like you guys are in the shit. But lucky for you, you all get to say what happened in front of each other. So right. you can just be a yes and. <laughs> and your parents. Your parents are also and here your watching. parents. I mean, there's so much pressure from every direction. And the Vulcan guy, uh, I loved him. But I, there is, like, the whole time I was like, you're on the verge of not being a Vulcan. There, there was fancy. something. <laughs> yeah, fancy. fancy. Dick, the way Dick did that, it was, uh, he was playing with it. Like, this is a Vulcan. Like, he's, he wants a smile. Like there is like I could his mouth is like you want to smile and be like hey guys. <laughs> That's why I'm saying that he seemed Romulan to me. 
Ooh, he could be a spy. Oh. <laughs> We've seen We've that before. Seen that. He's embedded spy. It doesn't happen in this episode, but he's there. Canon. <laughs> well, Nick pulls off the ultimate yes and as we're talking about and is like, oh, well, I have an answer for you. And it's that Josh was nerv- a nervous flyer. <laughs> Sorry, Josh's dad. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> they was a fuck up. Sucked, yeah, man. They're saying they're saying he was our friend. We didn't want him to be remembered as someone who panicked. The admiral's like, "Well, you're in trouble anyway because you let him fly and you didn't tell anyone he was a nervous flyer." And then she rings her tiny little bell, and we know <laughs> that things are done for the day. Also, um, I didn't bring this up because I don't know if I can truck trust Larry Nemesek anymore. <laughs> Supposedly that bell was also used in TOS in two different episodes. Oh, wow. Neat. So that's the bell that was in the room when they went after the Kobayashi Maru incident. Oh, Ooh. Uh, no, he didn't mention it about those. It was two specific TOS episodes. No, I'm just saying um, if it was there then, Oh, you it mean was there 20 years earlier. Yeah, in in the Star Trek universe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. That's a long bell. <laughs> we have progressed in technology from a, a gavel hitting a piece of wood to us ringing a bell, and I think that is progress. <laughs> it was very maritime, right? Uh, on the Enterprise, Data and Jordy are going to work on a reconstruction. Because, of course, even though they said in San Francisco, we don't need your help. They're like, mm, but we're going to help anyway. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but I love that line where they're like, because Jordy's like, yeah, they can do this better than us. And um, and McCart says, he's one of us. He's one of our own. That was nice. There was a couple really touching moments in this episode that made me kind of get a little teary-eyed. And that was one of them oh. where he's just like, yeah, of course you would do something for little Wesley Crusher, who's no longer little. Mm-hmm. He's all grown up. He's all grows up. In Wesley's room, the other cadets are mad at Nick uh, because they're like, this wasn't Josh's fault. We said we wouldn't lie. And then I think this is what we were talking about. He starts to plant doubt in their minds. He's like, but really, can we say that? Right. And he starts kind of rewriting history a little bit. Um, Someone says we might as well pack everything. And they're like, no, he's like, it's good. The flight flight log was recovered, but only a third of the data is good. So as long as it's the first third, we're in great shape. Uh, And then he says, you don't have to lie. Just don't volunteer any new information. I think it's a faulty plan when they're going to ask you new questions to say you can't give any new information. (laughs) I think when they come up with, so what happened after the, uh, the data uh, that we can't recover? I, I don't think you can then go back and say, well, before that, I, I think, you know, they're going to make you come up with some new shit. Uh, but, but I like, I like the plan. I just think it's not going to work. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's asking him to lie. He's like, he says, I'm, you don't have to lie, but we later find out the truth about Josh um, and so we know that all of this was a lie. It was a lie that he was nervous. I mean, it wasn't a lie, I guess. Maybe he was nervous. He just wasn't capable of doing it. You know, it was like, 
they talked him into doing something beyond his capabilities. But uh, admitting that is a lie. Omitting that fact is a lie. <laughs> so it was always a lie. So the premise of I'm not asking you to lie was itself <laughs> a lie. Uh, and that's where I was like, this guy is being really shady. Um, and yeah. he's playing a brilliant bad guy of, you know, the devil doesn't have horns. They're going to, you know, uh, look like a handsome guy in the newsroom. <laughs> I wish I could remember his name, the actor. <laughs> William Hurt. William Hurt. going to look go. like William Hurt. Yeah. Um, well, and I think I think it changes over time because at first when they're about to be deposed before this, he's saying, like, you know, we're not going to lie. We're not going to perjure ourselves but we're just not going to tell the full story and i think everybody got on board with that because they didn't want to get in trouble either right and then now that they are inquiring and making them ask what's going on there there there's no way to not uh, uh make up lies and i think you know even when what locarno says about josh isn't a lie i think he was nervous he wasn't maybe nervous in general, he was nervous about doing this specific maneuver because he thought it was too dangerous. And so he's building off of that. Um, and so even in Locarno's mind, he probably thinks that he's just, uh, you know, showing the truth that was there. Uh, and maybe he even in his heart believes that Josh screwed it up because he was nervous and didn't have it, you know, wasn't thinking of the team when he made this accident happen. Uh, you know, so I think there's part of all of that wrapped up in here and the Wesley agreed to it up to a point. And then now that we're all seeing like, he has to see where his, his compromising is. Well, in the judgment room, Wesley is working on his, uh, presentation for the next morning. And Josh's father comes in to give Wes back his sweater. Uh, and, oh. Right. Love wins. Love wins. <laughs> <laughs> and then in like the just best fucking gut punch. Yes. Right. He says, you know, he had a lot of respect for you. I realize it was his fault. Oh, Everyone man. could have been killed. And I want to say, I'm sorry he let you down. Oh, shit. Ugh. Right. And Wesley does so much by not saying anything in this scene, really. Like, he's just all there in his face, and it's so good. I think Wesley is practicing his lie mm. up until mm. that dad walked in, and then things changed. Yeah. That was brilliant. I mean, that was just a delicious scene right there. Um, it all changed. I Like, whatever ideas or side you were on, I think if you are still on Go Ahead and Lie after this scene, <laughs> um uh, you probably don't have many scruples because that was just brilliantly <laughs> delivered and received and uh, shot and directed. It was just a nice, nice scene. And I fell for that dad, man. I was just like, Wesley, if you don't fucking do what's right, I am going to punch you in your nose. <laughs> <laughs> and Ed Lauder, I think this is his first lines in – the oh, yeah. episode yep. uh he's in many scenes and he's so emotive and we basically know what he's thinking you know in every close-up of him in the in the judgment room right um but like this is the first time he talks and it's so powerful that you know it, yeah. it, what he's saying and it really comes through because you have been basically coming up with what his emotions and his his, his inner dialogue was yeah and, uh because of all that it's so good yeah yeah like i thought he might explode like, mm -hmm. my son wasn't like that. How dare you? And then when he does, I was like, oh, <laughs> way better. Right. Way better. I love my dead gay son. 
That would have been a 10. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, Wesley is giving his uh, deposition, or at least what the flight recorder uh, has left uh, a third of that. And they went. he says, we went into the Jaeger loop, my proximity alarm went off, and somehow I was able to hit my transporter button. They have him describe the Jaeger loop. They say, were you in a diamond position? He says, yes. Mm. And they say, really? Because mm. what's this footage of the ships in a circular position instead? What? what is your explanation? I have none, sir. Oh, shit, you're fucked. I basically was saying, Wesley, don't say you don't have one. Don't say you don't have one. Don't say we don't have one. And then he's like, I have none. And they're like, oh, Wesley. Yeah. He's never played yes and. <laughs> <laughs> and here's an example for a, of, a, of a challenge of a different sort than we usually talk about. And it's a character that's a bad liar, um, which, is, mm-hmm. which is a different kind of fun for an actor to play. In Wesley's room, Beverly is talking about Jordy and Data working on the reconstruction. She says, I'm going to talk to the Admiral. Admirable. I'm going to talk to the Admiral. (laughs) And he's like, Mom. (laughs) 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 Ixnay on the helping hay. Please stay out of this, Mom. Which is fantastic because there's... On her level, right, it's the, oh, he doesn't want me to interfere because he wants to be a, an adult and he doesn't want his mom in the way. And he doesn't want his mom to interfere, we know, because he doesn't want her to find out the truth, right? Like, which is a really nice dichotomy in this scene, I think. Or to besmirch his name, or her name, right? the Enterprise's name. I think that was part of it, too, is like, don't get involved in this. Like, if I go down, I don't want to take the Enterprise down with me. Right. Mm. I, I thought it was just another way of highlighting um, how lying betrays more than just yourself. Like mm. we've seen how the kid is um, being uh, portrayed as something he wasn't because of their lie. And now his mom is like, this must be a lie. There, there must be something wrong with the, the data because there's no way you would have not have told the truth, Wesley. I know you. Uh, and there's that. So that feeling of, oh, shit, now I'm. I'm setting my mom up for this too. This lie is just impacting more and more and more people. Um, And I thought that was another great way of of sort of showing what a lie does and and how it it impacts more than just you. Yeah. Do you, my fellow Gen Xers remember those uh, public service announcements that the Mormons had for a while on television? Church of Latter-day Saints. One of them was some kind of weird musical thing that stuck in my head for decades. <laughs> you tell one lie, it leads to another. You tell one lie, it leads to another. And it's it's like this whole <gasps> basically what you just said, Jimmy, where like, yeah, you one li- it just you you can never get out of a circle of lies, and so that's why you, you know. So what people. I'm hearing you say is I should go into musical theater. <laughs> Mormon musical theater. Mormon musical theater. Is there any other kind? <laughs> Boothby and Picard are talking about pulling weeds versus using chemicals. And I'm glad to know that that debate still rages in the 24th century. <laughs> uh, Picard says, Tell me more about the Nova Squadron. And Boothby says, They are like gods. Nick is their coach and surrogate father all wrapped in one. If he asks them to do something, they'll do it even if it's go right off a cliff. Mm. Thoughts. He knows. 
he knows, he knows. what this whole story yeah. is and is trying to goad his former mentee into doing something about it. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, why does I don't know? It's it's maybe it's that classic trope of the groundskeeper knowing the ins and outs in a way that the admiral wouldn't right like that they talk around him exactly exactly it's that it's that extra knowledge because nobody pays attention to boothby Mm -hmm. or they just don't it's exactly what you just said eric they they don't think to hold their tongue around him it's like the janitor in the breakfast club it is (laughs) i look through your lockers (laughs) <laughs> you don't know that, but I do. Illegal. You don't know that, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's the one who has he's the only one who has the nuggets of truth with the uh, with the principal. Uh, back on the Enterprise, Jordy and Data are having trouble f- figuring shit out. It's just not making sense. Wesley opened his coolant interlock before the maneuver. Well, that wouldn't make sense because the engine would ignite the plasma. <gasps> That's exactly That's what, what they were trying to do. I'll take the case. <laughs> <laughs> Picard lights some plasma, if you know what I mean. He knows he knows what's up. It's not a fart joke. What that means, but <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> uh, Picard brings Wesley to the ready room. You know he's in trouble because he's back on the ship and in the ready room. Uh, and shows him <laughs> a Colvord starburst and says, you know, maybe you've seen one of these before? You know, it's been banned for over 100 years because of how dangerous it is. Uh, Picard thinks that Nick wanted to go out with a blaze of glory. I choose not to answer, sir. A lie of omission is still a lie, he says. Um... The first duty of every Starfleet officer is the truth. Either you come forward or I will. Dismissed. There's a lot of back and forth in this. There's even a, remember the first day you came on my ship? You sat in my chair. (laughs) Good callbacks to to early Wesley and their relationship. Uh, I love that even Wesley tries to 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 make one final plea of like, Captain, like he tries to like like he, he's gonna come clean, I think, to to Picard, and it's Picard's kind of gruffness here that sets him on the right path. But like, it, it, it I really loved uh, Wheaton's acting in in this entire episode, but this scene too is just like, you know, he's he's trying to give like one like help help me. He's almost trying to say help me, but gotta help yourself. I I have changed my mind, and I agree with Jimmy as to what probably happened between Picard and Boothby at this point, because I think we're supposed to think that this is a similar scene, but with Picard playing the Boothby character and Wesley and the Picard character as to what happened all those years ago. Hmm. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) That is a lie, Jimmy G. A lie by omission. Uh, Back on the planet, Wesley is pacing and Nick comes Mm. over. He says, they know Nick. They know what we did. Picard knows everything. Does he have any evidence? He has a theory. They'll ask us if it's true. We'll say no, and then it will be over. 
Uh, and then we get into this really uh, high pressure conversation about if you tell, you're deciding what's going to happen to me and the others. And he works this guilt trip super hard, right? Mm. Uh, it must have been a pretty good speech to make you turn your back on your friends. Why don't you resign and leave without implicating the others? And then I wrote, what a douche. Um, <laughs> I mean, again, we've talked about how well this actor does this um, because it is so, I, I've i been in that room, right? Like I've had that mm -hmm. friend I've had who's taught me or talked me into things that I didn't want to do or has convinced me that my scruples are something to be, con you know, left behind like it's just it's just really well done the way that kind of pressure happens i feel like this is also a mask off villain too like this is the first time when i'm like okay no this guy's fuck this guy yeah um because he's using all that those tactics and, and uh i kept on coming up with ways to fight him you know like i'd be like well you abandoned josh like you've just been like this guy who was your friend you fucked him over he's dead because of the choices you made. And, and I wish Wesley kind of threw that back in his face, but he's just too trauma traumatized by all, you know, the death of his friend that he also probably feels guilty and responsible for because he didn't back up Josh maybe to Locarno saying that they shouldn't do this. And, you know, all of the, you know, he's got his entire future at stake uh, in, his, in his head right here with his mom, his dad, you know, his dad figure. Uh, everything and so I, I get why he didn't say it but I kept on being like no Nick this is all bullshit you're just saying this to save your own skin mm -hmm. even though there's nuggets of what he's saying like hey you should be loyal to your friends but not to this degree well it certainly can be uh, argued that there's a power differential between the two of them right because even though they're both um, cadets he's that upperclassman who's in charge of the program and has been through so there's that um you know sort of hazing process that happens when you come into a new institution like that where it's like you are going to mm -hmm. listen to the people who have come before you because they have have the knowledge that you don't in the conference room or sorry the judgment room the Admiral is reading them the riot act. Either the data is wrong or you have lied, she says. But she has no proof. So she's going to close the investigation. She calls for a former reprimand, for, or formal reprimand for each of them, and they will be grounded. And then she rings the little bell so you know it's serious. <laughs> <laughs> but even though the little bell has been rung, Wesley stands up. And I half expected her to say, I'm so sorry, the bell has rung. Right. <laughs> it's over. Too late. You snooze, you lose. Yep. But Wesley spills the beans, tells everything that has happened, uh, you know, rats out Nick. Uh, she says to Nick, um, if he has anything to say, he says, no, sir. There was no question that it was going to happen. I was, I wondered why they wrote it and directed it for it to come after the bell. Cause like you say, I mean, we joked about, but it did feel like a, these proceedings are closed and like, well, I wish you would have said that a minute ago, but these are closed now. Right. So those remarks don't count. Uh, but of course that doesn't, didn't hit it, but I was just like, you know, you, why wait, just do it now. Tell us that it was all, uh, you know, not Josh's fault, but when he does 
does come clean, um, it was refreshing, and it was nice that the way he delivered the line, Will Wheaton, um, and uh, I did not hate him. Whoa! <laughs> wow. So there was that. And, but when uh, Lorcano was like, no, sir, I was like, wow, this guy, fucking, he is dug in, um, which I thought was amazing because of what we see later. Yeah. Like that that choice by the writer um, and the actor, the way they delivered it, really put the wool over my eyes. So I did not see what was coming. Um, and mm-hmm. that was really, uh, I think, a nice moment. I liked that uh, Wesley addresses uh, Ed Lauder directly, too. Like, that Like that was the indicator of, of, of one of the reasons why he, he chose to do what he did. Like, and says, we, you know, we let Josh down, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of you know speaks to that truth i really really thought that was a smart choice by the writers and the way it was delivered by mr whedon maybe again just kind of feel like oh there is there is some emotion in this boy (laughs) in this boy (laughs) uh wes is sitting outside with picard and finds out that nick has been expelled wes says we probably all should have been expelled we find out nick took all the blame for everything uh, he says, I feel bad. Picard says, you should feel bad, which I love. Right? He doesn't let him off the hook. Uh, your academic credits for the year will be canceled. You will not advance with your class. You have difficult times ahead. You knew what you had to do, he says. I just made sure you listened to yourself. Which is what Boothby said to Picard. Right? But here's my question. Had there been no parents day had there been no picard (laughs) what would young wesley have done without that that voice in his ear i don't don't know he would have done it like right right there is that moment when the admiral says i have no proof and so like we can't do anything it's i can see a young person or i can imagine myself as a young person is like i feel like shit but I'll deal with that after I get away with this. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I, that's, I, that's, I, that's the whole thing. Like people would rather deal with guilt than punishment or they think they would. And mm-hmm. so they, they'd look at the situation and say, well, the damage has already been done and I have learned everything from it and I wouldn't possibly ever do it again. So what right. good <laughs> does punishing me get, you know? And that's, that's what, so many people do and that's how you know corruption festers and blah blah yeah. blah 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 <laughs> well an interesting thing about this story because this is not an original story by any means right like i feel like i've seen this you know happen uh being told at like private schools and things like that where honor and everything it's a big deal right school and days in those stories school ties class the class of the different people in here is very important. The monetary class, right? They're they're right. And so a person like Wesley, who uh, isn't a blue blood and doesn't come from a rich class, has so much more to lose by putting himself out there, right? And then someone in, in uh Locarno's position might have been, you know, uh uh you know, he's he he won't won't have the effects of it. And I just like that this this doesn't have any of that underpinnings uh because of the sci-fi story that we're being told Mm -hmm. here where there is no difference of like that so i just like that it was really just about pure is honesty better than not (laughs) Uh, and it's it's interesting uh it's not as 
directly uh, applicable to our world all the time because there's so many other socioeconomic issues at play usually in these types of situations. But I found that uh, this ending scene was a little abrupt uh, with Picard, and I think it needed to be. Like He just kind of is like, yep, it sucks. You're going to deal with it. Uh, and I just wish he had a little bit of a, of an identifying moment with him, with Wesley, to be like, I went through something very similar. Just like mm-hmm. you and I have talked about in those shuttlecraft episodes, in those other things, you're going to be okay because look at, you know, because I'm an, and I'm an example of that. It could have been very simple, just one line, a phrase. And I just wish Picard had given Wesley just that one little positive thing mm-hmm. there. I agree that it's such a powerful thing in real life. Like, you know, I, I, I talk often about being an alcoholic and like at, at my lowest, really the only person who ever came up to me and gave me that tough love was my father, uh, who's now unfortunately gone. And the way he really got me to pay attention, uh, to all of that in that moment was he admitted to me that he had at a, at a time fought an addiction to painkillers and, uh, that blew me away. I had no idea and I would never have thought it. And as someone who at the time thought of it as a moral weakness on my part, knowing that I, I was unable to see a moral weakness in my father when he said that it changed how I viewed myself. And Mm I, you know, that I agree, Greg, I I think that would have been a very powerful, very short moment that, that would have made it all a little sweeter to me. Mm. Well, let's, put our final thoughts together for this episode uh lots to unpack here uh let's start with jimmy what do you what do you give this episode what are your final thoughts well i'll steal greg's joke um and give this eight exploding farts (laughs) Uh, and i would have given it a nine i think except for the point you brought up there at the end that had the parents not been there this would have been a harder story to tell um, it made it pretty easy for, you know, Wes had to make the choices that he did. One, so that he would be the good Wes, but two, because of the dad. And if he wasn't there and the parents were, were, if the parents weren't there, the writers would have had a harder time getting Wes to that uh, end result, I think. And it might have been interesting if Wes did have a character flaw like this, something really heavy and dark on him uh, that he had to deal with and not. You know, I almost did a bad thing, but I did a really bad thing. Would have been kind of an interesting character arc for him. But overall, it's a really good episode. Um, it's not super sci-fi, so it's not up there for me in terms of the overall episodes in TNG. But I think you really do need to go back and watch it because it's one of the last times you see Wesley. Uh, and it's interesting to see him in the environs of Starfleet, which is such a big part of the Star Trek universe. And as great or Eric had mentioned earlier, um, we see an actor who isn't the, the character we're going to see later, but you get to see maybe why they were like, Hey, we, we have another part that we'd love you to come back and read for. Um, because, uh, he does play a big role in Voyager, which was one of my big Star Trek. Like that's where I, I wasn't overseas. I was seeing it every week and not, seeing it on reruns and trying to catch up. Um, so Voyager and him, Paris, uh, are big in my Star Trek universe. So check it out. Uh, I think you'll dig it. Eight uh, exploding farts <laughs> for me. Greg Tito. 
I'm going to give it eight and a half judgment bells <laughs> that are ringing <laughs> for Wesley. <laughs> um, but I do have to say the exploding farts is very good, too, because now that I'm looking at the starburst, it does kind of look like a butthole. Uh, so <laughs> a sphincter. That was, it's a little sphincter hole. Uh, this is a really atypical Star Trek episode because it is not very sci-fi and it is about mostly characters that we never see again. Uh, and that's really fascinating to me. And I wish they, um, you know, kind of use some of this in the future. I think actually Tom Paris, there was a version of the Voyager script that it was the same character, that it was Locarno that was this mm-hmm. character. And they ended up scrapping it because they didn't want him to have that mark on his on his record. And I think that was a mistake. I think it would have been such a fun and interesting thing if we had at least one touchstone from him. He was expelled, but he somehow worked his way back in because of his char- charisma, because of all that. Uh, and I think that was a mistake. And I, and I, and I still in canon think of it as the same person, even if it's not. Um, it's really a uh, moral gray area episode. I think we've talked a lot about how in the last few ones about ethics and things like that, how you know they don't really take a stand. This one doesn't really... I mean, I guess it does really take a stand, but for me, I felt for Wesley's moral quandary here this entire time. I was the kid who wanted to get away with shit all the time. Uh, I never wanted to admit if I was wrong. I never saw the point in doing so to the administrators of his school who were just assholes anyway, so why would I give them the satisfaction of of, of uh, punishing me for something that I could knew I could get away with that really didn't matter in the long run? Um, so maybe I am Locarno. But I never had to do anything like this when there was a death. And I think uh, that changes everything. And I think that's what, uh, 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 you know, because the stuff I'm talking about is like, you know, throwing eggs and shit like that. Like not, not you know, vandalism is very different, I think, than, than I think. And now I feel really uh, guilty because of the way Eric is looking at me. You play a very good principle. And I would. Oh, I Greg, would be- you are right. Death is very different than vandalism. <laughs> I <laughs> At least there's something that we can all agree on. Um, but I fell for Wesley so much in this episode. It is very touching. It's emotional. It reminds me of of a lot of the teen movies that I was watching at the time, right? Like, this reminds me of Dead Poet Society. It reminds me of, of, of all those things that have uh, so much uh, uh, emotional coming-of-age story. And this is, uh, I think, the real moment where Wesley becomes uh, uh, an adult, right? Because he's got all of this... Uh, uh, weight and moral and he's trying to decide the, the, the person he's going to be uh, and it's great to see that and have an episode like that happen and I'm, I'm glad he came back for us to see it. Indeed. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Eric! I will give it eight decomposing bodies somewhere in Connecticut that I am now certain Greg is responsible for <laughs> in his childhood. <laughs> Um, I, I'm with you. I think it's a fantastic episode. I I have a couple of nitpicks plot wise, um, but uh, almost none on the acting side. And, and that is something that I, that I really enjoy watching. I think the guest stars are among my favorite in, in Trek history. Uh, and from my own particular biased point of view as to what really works, uh, in acting, I, I think hiring three comedians to do, this episode uh, as as these grieving and or uh, plotting and or father figure characters that, that largely avoid the, the the traps of going back into comedy with this was a really good choice all the way around they're fantastic all three of them we do get to see Boothby again also in Voyager 
in a in a way, uh, which is also one of my very favorite episodes where he um, Ray Walston is brought back to play a kind of fake Boothby that that is uh, representative of a uh, new and unknown alien race that recreates the uh, uh, Star uh, Starfleet Academy, um, and uh, he and Janeway have themselves some interesting conversations. It, it was nice to see that character for the first time here, uh, when that other one is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. Um, I think um, that's that's about all for me. I, I think Eight is great. Uh, I love it, and I'll probably watch it again pretty soon for those performances. I am going to give this eight and a half Jaeger loops. Spelled with a J. Thank you very much. (laughs) I love this episode. And, you know, we talk about, is it important in the scheme, overall scheme of things? You know, do you need to know this for the future? Not necessarily, right? Like, this isn't like a canon one in terms of like, if you don't see this, you're not going to understand future episodes. But it certainly does something lovely for the... um, the story that we have of Wesley and who he's becoming as a young man, um, which, you know, will lead to um, the traveler uh, coming to us later. And we'll, we'll talk about that in great depth, uh, depth, I'm sure. But uh, having him face this ethical conundrum as a young person is really interesting um, because I was not you, Greg. I was the, oh God, I did it, right? Like I would come home (laughs) as a high schooler and check in with my parents about the night and they'd be like, what happened? I'd be like, well, so-and-so was drinking beer. I didn't, but they were. Like I was the worst. And like, luckily my parents didn't rat anybody out on my behalf, but like I was like, Phil, I was like a guilt monster. So I had to share Mm -hmm. everything. So this was a really interesting episode for me because the other part of me is the anxious, I want to be loved person. And I don't want to let down my friends and I don't want to cause anybody else pain. I probably would have done what uh, the suggestion was, which is to just resign myself, take take the blame and then not talk about anybody else. Uh, just to just do the both best of both worlds, um, which is really not the best of any world because it's just taking the blame for something that other people were also in. Um, but I just find this whole episode um, really fun to watch. And it's because of these amazing performances that we've talked about. They saved up their budget. We talked about it, right? Like we've had several episodes where we haven't had very many guest stars of note. Uh, and it's because they saw this episode coming and they didn't scrimp, right? Like they didn't sort of give us, you know, two really great guest stars and then like for subpar or kind of okay guest stars, right? It was just a performance after performance after performance that was just at such a high level. So I am a fan of this episode and I enjoyed very much talking about it with all of you. And uh, of course we know my pants were wet before, so now they're double wet. (laughs) Explosion. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. 
follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage. <laughs>